This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. We're at it again, folks. It's a Friday, so we're swinging open the gateway to your weekend. Settle on back. Lots of content on the program ahead. And look... He's back. Grant Hardy with me today on the program. How's things out there in BC? Anytime I get to hang out with you on a Friday for a couple hours, things are good. How about yourself? All right. Uh, you know what? It's great. It's it's warm here, which is really nice for people to get that feel before the, the cold returns next week. So I like that. Grant, do you, um, when you do the show, I mean, I have my phone set up to go on Do Not Disturb. And I'm assuming you have a ritual of things before we strap you in to do the show that you do. What what kinds of things do you worry about that you might forget to do? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, you would think I would have this all down, like, oh, I've got this focus on my phone. It turns on in a specific time. It's more like, oh, crap, it's like five seconds to the show. I better switch my phone on silent. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess just just make sure to turn down all my sort of speeches and assistance and make sure there's no construction going on background. I usually listen to a song or two just to kind of amp myself up, you know? Ah, Get your head into the space. That's great. Mm -hmm. I always wonder that, too. I always wonder about people's rituals or just what makes a person feel good. I remember doing theater stuff, and one of the guys in one of the plays, I was in a big production. First time I worked with this guy, and he'd walk around backstage, and I'd like, what the heck's going on? What's this guy doing? And why is he chanting? And it was just his vocal warm-up stuff, and it took me a few days to say, oh, oh, that's what he's doing. Oh, okay. Well, part of our warm-up, folks, is to tell you a little bit about What's coming up on the program today? Google's latest AI video generator can actually render cute animals into implausible situations. John Beeler, he's got it for us when he joins us shortly on the program. The Super Bowl takes place in Las Vegas this Sunday with uh, San Francisco battling Kansas City. Brock Richardson, he's going to set the stage on our sports update. And... On the chatty bookshelf today, Ryan Huey tells us what fantasy novels have taken off in the last four years. Who's reading this genre and why is it so popular? We'll get into that in hour two of the program when he joins us for the chatty bookshelf. The Scandinavian airline Thinner is inviting passengers to get weighed along with their carry-on baggage before boarding the plane. The airline says this survey is anonymous and completely voluntary with the goal to ensure a safe flight. Now, aviation analyst John Mance says some countries require airlines to complete uh, or to conduct, excuse me, uh, surveys like this covering weight and some of the other factors every few years. Airlines use an average uh, for male and for female and for summer and for winter. And you need to correct those every now and then, especially if the population has gotten a bit more pudgy. (laughs) Okay, so, so far, 600 passengers have volunteered to do the survey. Uh, Granted, first, of course, first blush, I hear this, I, hey, 
What, what, is this thing called Thinner or Finner Airlines, number one? That's what kind of <laughs> caught me. Um, and again, I've always understood how much fuel has to go on a plane and how much the weight of the plane matters about the fuel and distance and all that mathem mathematical equation. So I think I've been more offended when they've said, uh, you know, if they said to me, uh, sir, you need a wider seat. This oh, no. I'm not so sure I would take part, but I get it. Oh, no, thank you. There is no way I'm not <laughs> taking part in this without something for myself in return. I do have a possible solution. don't know how this would work with the anonymity, but if they paid me for each pound, uh -huh. then I might get oh, on board. <laughs> deducted, right? And then they'd be saying, no, it's going to cost more fuel. Before, But I guess it gives them their baseline of what they need to have. So interesting. Uh, I love the openness of it. <laughs> Speaking of openness of things, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, talk about this poor fellow. Uh, this is why you need to always, always read the fine print. Oh, no. A man from France who spent eight years building a 23-foot-tall matchstick replica of the Eiffel Tower will not get into the Guinness Book of World Records. He used 700,000 matchsticks to make it, but he had had the matches specially manufactured without sulfur on the tips. Guinness says that means they're not really matches. Even though it's a perfect replica of the Eiffel Tower, it doesn't qualify. Sherry Preston, ABC News. So what do you do, Grant? Go to another category? Like, what What are these? Like, like wood shavings or, or what? It's like, if they're not matched. And I get it. Unfortunately, I hate to admit it. I guess that's their out clause. And it is true. Eight years. But you can't waste those eight years. I'm just baffled that, like, the Guinness Book of World Records has fine print. Isn't this more just like <laughs> you're the first in the world to jump the highest whatever? Like, they have a like a contract for their how you get into the Guinness Book of World Records. It's just baffling, isn't it? All their stipulations, right? Like they, or as I like to say, what is this an out clause? Like, is there money involved or anything? No, no. And I understand in their heads, and correctly so, if we allow this, then we have to make exceptions elsewhere and we're setting ourselves up for that. But their good heavens, there's got to be some other category, whether they can fudge it or not, that this thing has got to fall under wood slivers, uh, wood shavings, fragments, whatever, to make this a legit thing. Yeah, so cool, right, feeling right. sorry for the man's eight years, but wow, what a replica. Hey, maybe the Eiffel Tower people, the city of Paris, maybe they'll buy it anyway yeah, from them. And he's yeah. He's going to be more famous now for getting rejected from the Guinness. That's Book right. Records. Not only was he rejected, but look what he did. Look how many years. So he'll either be <laughs> a famous fool or some kind of real talented artist. Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, gardener Susan Kearney this week features the hardy Hellebur. We're going to see about this, uh, what plant, what she's got to tell us about. It, it blooms in late winter. That conversation, uh, funny enough, in midwinter, We'll get into it after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Ramya may not be with us today, folks, on the program. However, her presence is around if you check out the podcast. She actually does our audio vanity card that we put on the end of the uh, full 
show podcast. That's the Kelly and Rumya podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. And while you're at it, give us a rating and review. Check out the show in segment form or that complete version that I mentioned that's posted with Rumya's audio vanity card on the end there today. Appreciate all that time you have to check out the podcast or to join us live on the show on AMI-tv weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern or over on AMI-audio whenever you have that opportunity. Grant Hardy's sitting in with me today. He's at the home studio in Vancouver. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. And let's welcome in, as we do to kick our Friday shows off, our gardener, Susan Kearney. Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Ramya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. So, you know, Sue, we're talking today about the uh, hardy halibur. I, I think I'm saying that right. And this is being a winter, early spring plant, late mm-hmm. late winter, early spring. Um, but it was the vision I have when we talk about it being hardy and stuff like that. Um, why why did you pick this one to talk about today? Well, because um, it, it, it is um, really a, a plant that can start coming up in February or March, it can it can actually bloom within that time, and uh, it it can actually push itself right up through the snow. Um, My we don't have God! Any snow right now, in fact, yes. Well, now yes. now it'll bounce out like Jack and the Beanstalk, like the Beanstalk. <laughs> wow! Yes, and yeah, she she is um she's a lovely plant, and uh, uh, she is she is a member of the evergreen family. But she doesn't have needles like we think of evergreens having needles. Um, her leaves are uh, very um, sh- green, flat green, and um, very shiny. Uh, so she she's an interesting, a, a very interesting plant. Hmm. Yeah. We, okay. Yeah. Can, can we go through some of those senses? Like sm- you kind of touched on the visual, like smell, touch. How would we perceive um, this oh, plant? Okay, and she she does bloom, and her okay. blooms, um, yeah, she does bloom. Her blooms can be anything from uh, green, burgundy. Um, I I know someone who has um, some that are um, sort of a pinky color, uh, red hmm. color uh, in, into the yellows, the whites. So she she really fills the whole spectrum. Her her blooms actually hang upside down when they bloom they don't stand up Mm. yeah like like a sunflower or a tulip or anything like that they actually sort of hang upside down very similar to the snowdrop and the reason for that is they are taking usually they are taking heat from the uh the sun uh in Mm. late uh, winter that shines on the snow or the ice that is there. Well, right now we've sort of got spring and we don't have any snow or. Um, or will that affect them? If it, if it was possible for one to come up, or will it come up without the snow on the ground? Like, I mean, yes. obviously, in one sense, it'll be colder for them. Yes, actually, uh, yes, I, I think so. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, or, yeah. um, people that I, I mean, know not that today. Have them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Today's not today, today. It'll be like no. it'll be too warm. They'll be like, I'm not going. This is yeah. too warm. <laughs> um, I, I will be asking people who do have them in their gardens um, to um, to tell me what you know their reaction to not 
having snow around them and whether or not um they you know they they bloom earlier uh, i've sort of um i i have some people that i know that have these um have these uh, lovely hellebores i don't and there is a reason for that mm. every single part of the hellebore is poisonous mm. oh my goodness so yes absolutely I, I, I... I was thinking it's quite unusual for a plant like this to literally push its way through the snow, at least as far as mm-hmm. I know. And now we kind of know why. It's a tough cookie. How how, yeah. how poisonous? Yes, it it is a tough cookie, and and yes, and it every portion is poisonous. Um, that is one of the reasons why I do not have them in my garden. Although I could have put them in my garden uh, in an area where my dogs don't go. However, I would not be able to take care of this plant because I do not use gloves when I'm gardening. And it is very, very highly recommended that you use gloves when you are handling this beauty. And she really, <laughs> it, they really are beautiful um, wow. when, when they come. And yeah, I, I know that sounds and odd if something is poisonous, it's beautiful, but she really <laughs> is beautiful. Yeah. When she comes um, up in the in the yeah. So how how tall will it get with especially with it inverted as much as it does? Um, they can they can grow up to two to three feet. Um mm. Uh, there it's it's a low what I would call a low growing plant. And and that and the reason for that is that um it stops the frost from getting to it they they do protect themselves by growing close to the ground uh so they they're not going to get that that high frost if it you know if it's a you know very cold cold uh, night and but if it doesn't have the snow cover it might be a different situation and i think here we're supposed to go back into some winter. I think this is just a tease here, <laughs> this warm, and uh, it'll be interesting. And it is something that I am, I will be um, asking people that have them mm-hmm. because I don't even know how it will affect this. Yeah. I do yeah. know that there are a lot of plants coming up in people's gardens. I would suspect if they go out and see um, and, and look around. I, last week we talked about irises. Uh, after uh, I spoke about them, uh, a friend of mine called me and told me that her miniature irises were coming up um, and how to protect them. I told her to cover them up with newspaper if we get real cold and to because they probably have really grown in the last week. Yeah. So oh, yeah. And the hellebores will too. So if they don't have that snow cover, I don't know what their fate will be. Mm. It'll be it will be interesting. Mm. Very warm for February. <laughs> yeah. Guys are having a heat spell. How how poisonous is poisonous? Like, will it seriously make you sick or an animal sick or even worse? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, when you get this on your hands uh, and, you you know, if it, it goes into the pores of your skin or you, um, you know, uh, touch, touch your face with, with any of that portion, it is very poisonous. So you, you do have to wear gloves. Um, yeah. there, there, there's, 
you cannot. Uh, it, it's not one of those plants that, oh, it's a little bit toxic. I work with yeah, many very, different plants yeah. that are, you know, varied in their toxicity, and I can, you know, use my hands to, to work with them. It, it just depends. But this one is really does come under the category of being very poisonous. So yeah. you, you do have to... And, but she is beautiful. Uh, I'm just yeah. with that. It, it, yeah. it amazes me when you think about the other animals, rabbits and so on, too, when you have these things. But they know better, probably. Ah, um, uh, they're if, smart. Now, yeah, I don't they know, know that better. my Labradors would be. <laughs> yeah, they're, no, they tend to not be. Yeah. No, it, no, it, it's yeah. something edible. It's something I can chew. Well, away we go. Um, yes, so someone it, says... It's out here. and if, yeah, Because I, I have lots of rabbits in my garden. I have lots of right. rabbits. And you don't uh, find them... Night, no, they well, do not. Course, you that, you know, yeah. And Yeah, but I haven't had it. But um, I do know other people who do have a lot, have rabbits. And no, they don't touch the hellebores at all. They, Isn't they that know fantastic? Better. That's amazing yeah, how they is. know... Um, so if you wanted the pink ones, can you buy the seeds to yield the color you want? Yes, you can. Yes, absolutely you can. Um, and uh, often, uh, right right about now, you might even be able to get them in some garden centers uh, already already grown because once it, you know, the, the soil is soft, you can actually plant them and they, they are tough enough that they can, um, you know, that they can survive. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lovely plant. Um, you can even put that in the garden in, in, in March. It's one of those plants that w- will do very well at the beginning of March, middle of March. As long as you can dig into that soil, you can even plant her now. So if you plant it in, like, just before the end of your mm. season, these, these seeds, will the timing and everything work, the naturalization hold off until February versus if you actually had a mild spell like we've got here and you went out there this week or today, oh, this is soft enough, so pop, 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 put uh, the seeds in. Will they come up still again in the few weeks versus would they still come up in the same time frame or once they hit the ground, they're going to be coming up? Uh, Actually, um, I I have never, um, I don't know anyone who has actually done this plant by seed. I'm sure that there are people who have. Uh, I do know that you can do them by um, by cuttings. So right, yeah. um, that uh, the seed, I can't I, I can't speak um, to. Um, uh, probably, if you get the seeds uh, and and put them in, yes, I would suspect it would take at least a year um, to the next um, winter. That's usually how um, Mother mm-hmm. Nature works. But then um, our weather has been very peculiar, so you mm. never know. But otherwise, cuttings, you just put them in when you yeah. when that soil's soft enough and it would and let it yeah. happen. And it would already, yeah. because they're cuttings, it would already have the natural clock. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what would be a reason why somebody would have this plant given that it's poisonous? Is it more the the beauty, like you said, or just more like you're a serious gardener and you're you're impressed with how this type of plant copes or like what what would be the reason someone would plant these in their garden her her beauty and also um that she does come up 
in um, in late winter, early spring, so you get yeah, that blooming. If, yeah, if you were a person who wants um, what what we call a four season garden, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, she is, she would go into the beginning of the season um, that you know plants are coming up to to start to bloom. So yes, many people th- do that. So they they keep their gardens in bloom um, throughout the season. So they put different nice. uh, different types of plants That's in cool. that go That's... that bloom different. Yes. Yeah. So you said this is an evergreen. Um, yes. My thought of an evergreen, of course, as we talked about, isn't just the pine needles, but something that seems to stay up because I think of trees and, and that kind of thing. And I know it's a, it's somewhat different. Um, I don't think of them as coming up or going away, falling apart, or, or and then coming back up. It, it's kind of strange. Do a lot of what we consider evergreens kind of more work this way, uh, like this plant? Yes. They do because they 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 tend to have that um, they, they can take the cold so yes um, and uh, some of the hellebores and I do know that last summer when it became um, very very warm um, some people that I know that had them in the garden they of course started to get very sleepy and slumpy because they were an evergreen and they you know they prefer the cooler so it's um, oh, yeah but, but wow yeah hmm. yeah. Very lovely, very lovely plant. If you can work with it, I highly recommend it. That's amazing, Sue. Really good talk uh, about the about this plant and how beautiful it actually is. Talking about the hardy halibur. We'll talk to you next Friday with your next installment of our gardening chats. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Join us every Friday. We talk gardening with Susan Kearney, and boy, Grant, that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's, you know, for someone who struggles a little bit in the winter with kind of like the winter blues, when is it going to be spring? This, I can see a garden really helping with that for some of those, some of those yes. plants. Yeah. That's a tremendous point. I, and I think some of the things we've learned with Sue talking about these and how much somebody can be still surrounded by them uh, at this time of the year is tremendous or, or going into the spring. Folks, we step aside for a couple of minutes now. Google has made, uh, Google's latest uh, AI generator, video generator, can render cute animals in implausible situations. John Beeler, he's with us in a couple of minutes to talk about it. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Earlier in the week, the gang over at AT Banter Podcast did a wonderful interview with uh, Virginia Valeta, uh, Valeta from uh, AMI here talking from our you know communications marketing department on our digital strategy and everything. Uh, we had Virginia on the show talking about AMI Plus, and that's something you should check out, folks. If you want content on demand, check out our AMI Plus site. Everything's there for you that you could ever want for AMI-TV, audio and tele content. Really a great place to go. Uh, These guys were really impressed and we thank them for the time that they they gave the subject and AMI Plus uh, Virginia did a tremendous interview uh, with those guys, but uh, it reminded me, gosh, we, we don't say enough about it over here on the program sometimes to remind you that it's there. That's AMI Plus. Grant Hardy with Kelly McDonald. Those marketing and tech people are working hard behind the scenes to put this together. Oh, man, yeah. Speaking of tech, part of our Friday vibes here is we get to talk tech 
with John Beeler for our weekly app update. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramya where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut. Hey, John, welcome to the program and happy Friday as always. Happy Friday. Uh, We have some really super interesting stuff to talk about. So let's just dive in. Starting with Mozilla, apparently they have a new subscription that can help scrub personal info from data broker sites. Yeah, so one of the things that we've talked about before is these um, the, these databases that live on the dark web. And these are basically anytime there's a security breach or hackers get into some system that they shouldn't be in, they compile a huge list of people's credentials, people's addresses, all kinds of different information. And then what they do is they sell this on essentially the dark web version of eBay. And... Um, So there's a bunch of data brokers that live in these spaces and they buy and sell huge databases of personal information. And so what Mozilla has done is they've partnered with a company and for about 10 bucks a month, um, you can actually have a monitoring service that will look for and uh, notify you if it discovers anything with your information in these uh, databases. And then it'll also help well, first of all, it'll try to re- get it removed. So, you know, basically there's a lot of different ways that these services use um, sort of uh, requests for removal and and other types of things to get this stuff off the dark web. And it doesn't always work, unfortunately, uh, because once these databases are out there, you know, that email list from 10 years ago is going to live on forever. Um, mm-hmm. But they will also try to help you uh, get it removed manually yourself as well. Wow. That's phenomenal. Um, when you think about these companies, John, because we're so programmed, as we've talked numerous times, to be a bit doubtful. Um, like you said, they can't do it all the time. But how much work, in your opinion, is it for these companies to keep a step ahead of these people who thrive out there on the dark web? Stealing. I I, I don't see how they can actually stay ahead. Um, mm. it, it, it's it's whack-a-mole. I mean, you, you deal with one or two of these brokers and 10 will pop up in their place uh, because the, the nature of digital information is just super easy to move around the internet and hide it in dark places. And so um, it's it can be very challenging to uh, fix one of these wrongs, if you will. Yeah, it's mm. kind of what I'm wondering when you think of the dark web, I don't picture it as a place where you just email the webmaster and hello, we would like this information taken down. On the other hand, it does seem like it would be a good idea to at least have that awareness without maybe having to use the sketchy dark web yourself to try and find it. Yeah. One of the things that Mozilla highlights is the fact that there is other services that do this, um, but just finding a legitimate one can be a challenge. That's it. And, and yeah. so they've partnered with a legitimate one. And you actually can go to Mozilla's website and get a free scan to see what it comes back with. So it gives you an idea of what you're looking at. Um, although, you know, the process of doing that is to share some information with Mozilla, which, you know, I don't think is a sketchy organization and all. Exactly. So um, it's relatively safe to do that. And they're just basically looking to see if there's any matches through their copies of the yeah. dark web information that they have. What's scary 
Is what you said earlier, John, stuff that could go back 10 years, uh, like whether it be an address book or what it might be that you don't, you haven't even thought of, don't even use, isn't even, is a sheer, sheer whatever of what you use now, just a, a shadow of, but it floats around or, or potentially or was captured at some point via something else. Um, and, and again, some of that, we had so less protection and security then, it's fair game and it's, it's, it's that kind of thing you have to stop and say, you know, even a protection like this probably can't find or scour for something like that uh, or, or even do something with it if they were to find it. Yeah, because not all, not all of these uh, organizations are going to willingly comply with the takedown requests. So. No, no, exactly. Oh, so in your second item today... Uh, Meta will uh, AI generate. Meta will. Let me try to say it right. Will AI generated content from OpenAI and Google uh, uh, on Facebook and um, Instagram. It's the yeah, so label generating, right? Like we try to make sure I include that in that. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're basically. Um trying to stop the flow of uh, basically deep fakes and everything else um, by looking at any content that's being uploaded to their platforms. Um, and there's a number of ways that uh, they can detect whether this was AI generated or not. Um, there oh. is some hidden slash invisible watermarks that some of these tools are now embedding into their generation uh, of content. And this is something that you, you can't see it. Uh, it's just hidden bits of code in there. And I'm sure someone will figure out a way to figure it out. But for now, Meta will flag and put a label on, you know, suspected AI-generated content. Anything that their tools use uh, to create the content will have a, a, a visible watermark as well so that ah. it will say... Generated. Um, and a lot of, it sounds like a lot of the other um, partners like OpenAI and company, they're all going to be sort of embracing this as well to, to deal with this. The problem with the visible watermark is it's easily cropped out. You can even use AI to delete it. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. the, the invisible watermarks are the, the, the thing that I think are going to be a little bit harder to find because essentially they're an encrypted watermark that's not visible. You need a very specific tool for that specific type of watermark to find. So, I think this is going to be a good thing overall, especially coming into multiple countries' election years cycles. That yes, are yes. Yes. I, yeah. I'm, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask for your opinion. It's something that I have a little bit of a, a vendetta against. I mean, forgetting deep fakes even, just people literally like running questions and info through ai and posting the output as if it's kind of their own it's it's something that i can kind of notice sometimes you know it looks a little robotic and it just drives me nuts and that's always what i've said is like i don't want to even ban it i just want to know where it's coming from is that reasonable or do i just have to accept that you know it's like autocorrect where we're just in a world where ai is part of the social convention like where do you stand on this I, I think you've just nailed it. Like it, basically you have to sort of get used to this. Um, these uh, water markings and things like that, they don't work on text. This is strictly for image generated images, AI content. So, and that's mm. the problem. Like there's, it's so easy to put my name on top of something that I didn't say that AI said I said, right. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's unstoppable. Um, yeah. But you also, I think, Grant, you sort of hit on that, the fact that you can kind of tell when some people talk in a weird way or they use 
big words when they're not known for using big words, like those kinds of things, like just little mm. tells almost in the, in that the, little in out the of place thing. stuff, whether you know or not, there's sometimes still the telltale of something that's out of place, a word usage doesn't yeah. feel right. Yeah. This is something that teachers deal with all the time because their students yeah. plagiarize it from a book, the internet, and now AI can write it for them. And they'll know that that's not their students work because they've talked with the student and they know they don't talk like that unless they had a lot of help from their parents or something like that. But right. this is the kind of the, the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. I can see images being a really great place to start because at least we're not going to have, hopefully, you know, unless you say people bypass it, but we're not going to have, you know, incredibly fake sort of news with weird images that make you think that some celebrity has been, you know, arrested or whatever, some kind of weird new deep fake. So that, that kind of makes me feel good on, on a Friday, knowing that we're at least tackling that component. Do we have a timeline for like, is this rolling out now or uh, how? I how believe are we it is rolling out now. It may not be prevalent on everything that you see, but event like very soon you're going to start to see this label appearing on stuff, uh, at least on Meta's properties and probably other properties as well. If they um, they want to be considered a trustworthy source. And they have to always react quickly because of what's said out there. Plus, you want to get that, you know, 20 minutes ahead of, of anyone who's going to defeat what you're doing out there yeah. for protection. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about, believe it or not, this it, this also intrigues me a lot. Um, <laughs> Google's latest AI Speaking video, of deep fakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, literally, I've been telling people, like, Everyone is talking about generating, you know, inappropriate what photos, whatever. All I want is to generate a weird picture of like an animal, you know, playing chess or something against another animal just for fun <laughs> to show to people and get a laugh. So apparently Google's latest AI video generator can render cute animals in implausible situations. That's just the start of it, too. And uh, what's really interesting about this space, Grant, is the fact that up until now, a lot of uh, AI-generated video has basically been a very painstaking process because think about what has to happen to generate just one uh, one image with a prompt. You basically mm -hmm. are getting the AI to generate multiple frames of the same kind of thing to then generate a and create a video, uh, you know, essentially a stop motion video, if, if for lack of a better term. And um, but what Google has figured out with their Lumiere research um, is they can actually generate uh, not just the image itself, but where the where the objects in that image are in time. So they can basically. Uh, figure out, well, in three frames, that person's going to be walking and their left leg will be slightly further ahead. So we can actually create those frames for you. And uh, right now it's still very low resolution. Um, it's fairly small images, but it's it's it seems to be like a very promising, if not scary future for some of these video like um, clips. And some of these videos are are truly crazy like having you know cats playing the piano and a panda <laughs> driving a car and an elephant underwater walking around you know those kinds of things um that would be very impossible to do any other way and basically with one prompt you can do that the other really interesting thing with this particular technology is because of the way they've trained their models, you can actually take an existing video. And so, for example, I'm wearing a blue shirt right now. You can basically just highlight the blue shirt 
in the video and make it out of Lego or out of flowers oh, or change it to wow. a green shirt or like all those things in real time in a video format. Wow. Just as it's as it's working. See, and it's interesting because you say stuff like that and you think, wow, if and I know when we were planning our Christmas show, you get thinking, how much how can we do animation? How could we bring something in here without having to hire someone to do it at a fortune? And you just talk about stuff like this, and you say, Well, hold it, if you have some idea and a story, you could almost and and know you can create your own, especially with a tool like this, John. Yeah, well, and this is what Google is, I mean, this is the um I guess the nice goal of this technology is it's yes, to empower yes. people to be creative without having to learn how to use a 3D modeling software package or an animation package and become a good illustrator and all these other things. Right. Uh, so essentially, this gives people the ability to create those things that they have in their mind uh, very quickly and very easily. Uh, so it's exciting exactly. on that part. But then if you just contrast it to our last segment, it was just like, yeah. well, People are going to misuse this. And actually at the bottom of their, um, I'm going to just call it up here if I can find it. Um, at the bottom of their their um, research paper, they say, you know, this is cool technology, but it's kind of dangerous and people are going yeah, to misuse it. Don't, don't misuse it. Exactly. And that's so funny as we're going through this discussion. I'm so conflicted. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is really cool. I don't know. I guess this is something that we all just kind of have to learn as we embrace AI. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time, but it's always great to talk tech with you, man. And uh, I know you'll be back on next Friday. We'll see you then. Thanks, John. John Bueller, as mentioned, we'll be back next Friday for more cool apps and tech on the weekly app update. Hey, man, there's some good news coming up on the buzz today. Could there be a cure for hearing loss? Gene therapies are getting closer. Beth Deer, she's here. She'll tell us more next on the buzz. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. I'm with Grant Hardy today on the program as we rock our way through this Friday edition. Always like our Fridays, we swing open the gateway to your weekend, try to get you started with a show packed with all sorts of Weekend-type stuff, whether it's conversations you can go away with, things you can go maybe try in the world of apps and so on, get to your garden even in the winter, indoor or outdoor. We'll talk a little sports. You know Super Bowl's coming ahead, but I'll give you a little review of the next hour. After we welcome in Beth Deer, our producer, reporter for Kelly and Ramya. Uh, Beth, welcome back to the show. I appreciate you as you arrive to host The Buzz. Hello, hello. It is always a pleasure um, I've got some uh, interesting articles today. The first one it just really, really makes me crave a cake pop from Starbucks. Ooh. I don't know if either of you have ever had one of those. I don't think yeah, I a, have. Yeah, I'm a coffee black guy. I used yeah, to like the little no, chocolate. Yeah, I used to like the little chocolate wafers from Starbucks, but they got rid yeah. of them. Sorry, Beth. Go I'm, ahead. All, yeah. I'm also too no, cheap no, for yeah, Starbucks. Okay. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, like, I've had maybe three cake pops from Starbucks in my life. And, um, you know, they've put me up over like $15. I'm pretty sure they're oh, insane. They're like $4 a cake pop. It's ridiculous. I sent my husband to go and get some not that long ago. And he, uh, he asked them how many, how many cake pops do I get for the, so I think it's like three seventy nine or something. And they were like, 
you get one. One. <laughs> he was oh, like, so what, what are they? What what are they? What do they do to your coffee, to your beverage? So they don't do anything to your beverage. They're like essentially so just you know how you get like, like Timbit? Like a curing. Yeah. Oh, or, okay. Okay. So they're uh, essentially that, but like they're oh. like made specifically. It's not like the Timbits where they just like take the whole out of like the center of the donut. Yeah. With cake pops, they basically like bake a cake and then they'll put the cake while it's warm into like a stand mixer or like a hand mixer and they'll beat oh. it about a bunch sometimes they'll add like a bit more moisture to kind of help it all stick together and then they'll wow. stick a little like lollipop kind of stick thing in it and uh dip it in i don't know like whatever flavoring say you've made like a strawberry sponge like it would probably be like a strawberry kind of icing and then and then yeah they cool mm. them off and they taste really good <laughs> How how big are they? They're actually like a decent size. I would say probably like two bites. Like wow. in terms okay. of, they're probably about the same size as a Timbit from what I can remember okay. at least. But I haven't had and one I, in, God, a little while. I think you need so, to go to Star Starbucks, share this segment with them. And you should get a free one for promoting these. Well, but yes. Well, maybe two. Uh, maybe two. Grant, yeah. Grant, wait until, <laughs> just wait until you hear the second. Okay, yeah, let's. And then, I don't know. <laughs> I don't okay. know that you'll be uh, telling me to do that. Okay, so, <laughs> a pill was found in a Starbucks cake pop in BC. A mother on okay. Vancouver Island is ringing the alarm for other parents and guardians after she says a pill was found inside a bakery treat from Starbucks. She went through a Starbucks drive through on Thursday morning in Courtney and decided to get her five-year-old son a cake pop, which... <laughs> Like I like I wouldn't have thought twice about that either. She said her son bit into it and said it tasted funny. When she grabbed oh it away, she basically discovered this red and blue pill inside. Um, oh. She said, oh. "When I went, <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, Beth, you just lost your read. <laughs> oh gosh, I yeah, I don't know. The... I know. Yeah, wow." So she said, when so, I went to give the cake pop to my other son, that is when I <laughs> saw the pill and immediately freaked out and pulled over. A cake pop is an easy thing to buy for a child, and I would be devastated if this happened to someone else. She contacted Starbucks quickly and was told that they had removed all cake pops off of their shelves in both locations in Courtney. Um the mom said it's a good reminder for parents to be diligent when giving children food that is not made at home. Yes, but that article desperately oh. made me want a cake pop. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think I would have probably said, geez, I wonder what that weird thing, oh, that must have been a something something that didn't, that just was a bad one or whatever. I'm not, I wouldn't have mm -hmm. even thought of a darn pill. I might have thought of some bad chocolate chip or something like that and like or or you yeah. know hard candy kind of thing and thought, "Ew, that's a bad piece of candy." You know, I would have just been happy that it wasn't rat poop or something like that in there, right? Like it's ew. I wouldn't have even thought. I better check this or break this up and see what it is. Do we do, does anyone yeah. else lose sympathy for the the mother at some point? Like Oh, this this tastes bad. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna try and give this to my other kid. <laughs> yeah, let the other kid kind of like try. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like my first thought was kind of that too, Ron. I'm like, your kid's telling you it tastes weird, and don't get me wrong. Like, I also understand that like you get to a point with your children. I'm there with Henley right now, where it's like 
ev everything is something. So maybe for this yeah, kid, they could have yeah. kids just constantly yeah. like, oh, it tastes funny, tastes funny, tastes yeah. bad. Da -da. Do you know what uh -huh. I mean? Yeah. Henley's thing at the yeah, moment, like everything's He'll scary. Everything. Like, yeah. So like, uh, I get it. She was probably like, oh, like he says this about everything. Like goes to hand it to the other kid. But this yeah, has definitely right. given me a little bit of a wake up call in the sense that if you know, if your kid says like it tastes funny. Maybe you should just trust them and have a little look <laughs> and see what what they're talking about. Because, the, like Kelly said, I would have assumed like, yeah, just like something odd. Like maybe they put like a mm. random spice in it. Like maybe they got like recipes mixed up or something. But yeah. a pill, like especially the fact that it's going to a kid, like it makes me. Oh. Especially the fact he said it tastes funny makes me think that maybe it was kind of like infused into the cake pop That's in the sense that like they pull the cake out it's warm they mix it up at that point i would assume that the pill would have probably fallen in there and that's obviously kind of how wow. it maybe it's maybe a delivery it. method for somebody and narcotics maybe somehow something's <laughs> going on but you also <laughs> wonder those ones where they are those two stores that they said that when we removed them I gather they're assuming the wherever they come from, wherever they're baked, the distribution place from from that kitchen, um, that this is the only two because you would almost think this would cause a. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I don't know about how they distribute those things, but you'd almost think it would at least become a Western Canada or across Canada. Yeah. Recall. Get them a heck off. Who knows where these things are showing up or or where those ones made in said kitchen went to. That's scary. That's a Woo. really great point, Kelly. And that's also what I was kind of thinking of too, is like, are you sure like they're not going to pop up somewhere else in the province? Yeah. <laughs> but like they yeah. obviously the do just make them, what maybe one of those location makes them and distributes it to the other. Who knows? But definitely scary and food for thought. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Beth, what do you have next for us? So uh, cure for hearing loss is on the horizon by the looks of it and it's through gene therapy i'm i'll be completely honest with you guys this is very it was a very like sciencey wordy article but there were some things i took from the article that i just thought were really awesome and especially for our audience too like i mean personally for me going a little bit off topic if i was offered the chance to see again i'll be honest i i don't know that i would take it my sight loss has given me some really amazing things in life and i in my opinion live a completely normal normal life now and i do obviously have some residual vision which i think is also very helpful um and grant like i don't know if you have a different opinion on this because yeah. obviously you are someone who has, has never had vision um but obviously this hearing therapy is helping people who have never ever heard before here yeah. wow wow I guess and, it, and it's not through a pill and a cake pop either it, <laughs> it's no it's not cake pop pills no no no, no. yeah Go i ahead, guess this is what I was wondering when I kind of heard and, and started to think about this, I go back and forth on this issue a lot. I have zero like desperation to get my vision at all. I think if mm -hmm. I knew that 
there would be no side effects, you know, virtually no risk, you know, no sort of discomfort once I had it. I might go for it just because it could make life a little bit more convenient, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I, again, I, I'd have no desperation for it. I know sometimes in some communities, like like the hearing impaired community, not to speak for everyone, but there's there's sort of a culture that develops too, right? Where, uh you know, you sort of hear about this where, where people are pretty em- emphatic that they they wouldn't want to get their hearing back. So yeah, I'm kind of, here I am speaking on something I don't know a lot about, but you sort of hear of deaf culture. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about this. It, this is a real yeah, long topic. So it really is. It 100%, like it's yeah. such a, there's such a broad spectrum and again like just very individualized but anyway so so far the experimental therapies target only one rare condition but scientists say similar treatments could someday help many more kids with other types of deafness caused by genes which i read something also yesterday that said that it was something crazy like 60 percent of deafness is actually made up through genes Mm. it's not necessarily like you know people becoming deaf right yeah through acquired through an injury through things that happen depletion playing loud music bad and things like that (laughs) yeah um one of the authors of the study said we couldn't be more happy or excited about the results the team captured patient progress in videos um one shows a baby who previously couldn't hear at all looking back in response to a doctor's words um six weeks after the treatment so like pretty pretty quick i think um Another shows a little girl 13 weeks after treatment repeating father, mother, grandmother, sister, and I love you, which really cute. Researchers observed the children for about six months. They don't know why, but the treatment didn't work in one of the Mm. children. Uh, But the five others who previously had complete deafness can now hear a regular conversation, talk with others, and the doctor estimates that they now here to a level of around 60 to 70 percent of normal um so therapy has caused no major side effects other than restoring hearing in these children which that really really amazing wow it's amazing because you wonder how much could come back go ahead grant no i exactly right exactly right and i was just going to say i think it's it's really exciting to have that option available I think yeah. for sure, uh, for sure, young children should be encouraged whatever disability they they have to make their life more convenient like this. But for adults, like you should absolutely get the option, and some people will love it and find it really exciting. Go ahead. And I think I think a lot of that was the point you made too, Grant, about the chances, the results of how many, like mm-hmm. one out of that five having a struggle and maybe that's something that can be rectified. Maybe that's something to do with genetics, but it's so amazing when you look at something like this, Beth, and you know, the option being there. And I think a lot of what we talk about in the deaf culture, it's, it's cochlear implants and things that people just say, why are we messing yeah. with something for something like this, as opposed to, I'm not sure what it would be looked up, looked upon, how it would be looked upon when you could have a possible surgery and do stem cell like this. Wow. Mm-hmm. And recovery or giving somebody something they may not have had. Beautiful, Beth. Thank you. Thanks, awesome. I'll be back in half an hour.
Yeah, we'll have you back when we do Cut for Time. Today we learned about cake pops and pills in them. We learned about potential <laughs> solutions to hearing loss. And Beth wouldn't want her vision back because great things like being on our show, working with us, and, have and uh, come from Big her, Blind. Her free snack from Starbucks that I thought she was going to win. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. We, we kind of killed that idea, didn't we? Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Join us next Wednesday when we do the next edition of The Buzz. In the next hour of our program, let's get the conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week. We call it Cut for Time. And on the Chatty Bookshelf, Ryan Huey tells us about what fantasy novels have taken off in the last four years, who's reading this genre, and why is it so popular? Up next, however, the Super Bowl takes place in Las Vegas this Sunday with San Francisco battling Kansas City. Brock Richardson is here to set the stage on our sports update. Next. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. <clears throat> Always appreciate you spending... Part of your day with us here at Kelly and Rumya. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. Kelly McDonald here. Grant Hardy stepping in today, filling in for Rumya. He's in Vancouver at the quote home studio unquote. We always love having him on board as we wander our way through the next hour of the program with a lot of good conversation, a lot of great topics and things to learn about. Let's get started as we welcome in on Fridays to kick off the second hour of the program and we talk a little sports. We welcome aboard Brock Richardson. I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis. Well, I got a busy weekend to get to. We'll talk about that in a couple of moments, but what's your leadoff item today, sir? I have uh, two things before we get into the Super Bowl. Uh, first one is to tell you that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won his arbitration bid, if you will. He will be making... Uh, $19.9 million this coming season. He was asking for $20 million. The arbitrators felt that $19.9 would do the trick. The Blue Jays were in and around the neighborhood of somewhere between uh, $13 million and $16 million. Uh, they weren't that far <laughs> apart, which is why you would think, why were we here? Normally, when we have these arbitration situations, you see tens of million dollars uh, separating uh, the two sides, but we got to a deal, and uh, there we sit. Kelly, I know you're a big Blue Jay guy. Quick thoughts from you, if any? Well, of course, I know they're going to try to figure out how little they have to pay him. He had a terrible season last year in many ways. Many people look at the stats and say, well, you know what? It was not great. It's not according to the expectations we have for this player, but... Um, you know, it, it, we, he's still worth something. He still could break out, and when he does, he's going to be prolific. I think the Blue Jays also look at the fact of his homeland, Canada also being, because he's a dual um, a, a dual citizen, uh, he, he, of course, has a lot of feel in the United States. You see him on, on the baseball video game uh, that Brock loves to play so much. Um, so... You really, you really kind of see somebody that covers lots of places, is a great marketing tool, loved by fans no matter what he does because he feels approachable. The team itself has to worry, is he really mature enough? Is he really coming to the table in shape? I would not want to sit in that room and listen to them cut me down because that's what they want to do so they don't have to pay as much. That's what the arbitration is all about, Brock. 
100%. And if I, if I was an athlete, I would uh, leave it to my representation to be in that arbitration room and say, you guys figure it out. That's why you get a cut of my, my, you know, my contract. And I would just leave it at that. So yes. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be under contract. And I will say he's under contract for this year and next year guaranteed, but we'll still have to do this arbitration uh, thing next year, unless they come to a one-year deal next year or beyond that um, by the time. But let's not go down well, that road. And let's point. hope there's a breakout season between now and then so we have no issue paying the guy almost whatever he asked for. Right, exactly. So uh, second thing, and then we'll dive right into the Super Bowl. Uh, we learned this week that BMO Field will host the opening game of the 2026 World Cup. Canada is a part of the host committee along with the United States and the yeah, Toronto and Vancouver will each host five games. I just think this is pretty cool that uh, Toronto and Vancouver and Canada in general is going to host some of these World Cup games. So that's your little tidbit of information on that. All right, man. Well, it is the big game coming up. It is Super Bowl weekend. I really want to know what kind of Super Bowl party you're doing. But more than that, I guess we should stick to the subject and talk about your early predictions for the game yeah well i'm gonna have a friend of mine over that works with me on the neutral zone so we're gonna catch up on the game you guys have had josh on the program before lots of uh, cheese sticks potato skins and whatever else we're gonna have it always and chili uh that uh, is gonna be made so lots of good stuff as for the game itself yes absolutely as for the game itself i think this is a situation where the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, will be in fine form. He'll be pretty upset that he's, quote-unquote, the underdog. And the fact that I'm saying this is pretty pretty crazy to me. Obviously, San Francisco finished first in the NFC, and uh, Kansas City finished third in the, in the AFC. So that's why he's listed as the underdog. I don't see it. I, I think Patrick Mahomes and the... Uh, Kansas City Chiefs know how to play pressured games. I actually believe, guys, this is going to be a dud of a game. But uh, <laughs> enjoy the party and the and the fact that it's the Super Bowl because I think Kansas City is going to win this one going away. I think the first half will be a little closer, but the second half they're going to pull away uh, from things here. <clears throat> um, and then Chris, go Chris ahead. Go has really been building. For a few years, Frisco has been looking really good. Um, I, I I don't know, Brock. I I, I want to say, unfortunately, you're right. I have nothing against Kansas City. I'm tired of them being there, but you you kind of hope for this look of Frisco, uh, Western team like that out there would be nice. Um, so I, I'm kind of anxious to see what goes on. I I I, I think unfortunately, you might be right. We, I think we've seen better games in the playoffs. Yeah, I hope I hope that this is a this is a better game. I'm rooting for a better game. I'm rooting for uh, Frisco, as you point out. But I just think Kansas City's just been there, done that, and they know what's going on. But enjoy the game nonetheless. Eh. Brock, I want to make sure we get to your favorite subject in the world uh, ever. I believe uh, Taylor Swift. Can you can you tease us on some of the dare I say controversy or? how how often is she going to be shown on screen like what's the deal with taylor swift at the super bowl all right so there's a bunch of prop bets and i'll run through them uh for you guys 
but since you brought up Taylor Swift, the over-under on whether you will see Taylor Swift is, will you see her more than six times or less than <laughs> six times? Any predictions from either of you, whether you'll see her more than six times or less than six times? More. Grant, oh, start with you. Yeah, it's, oh, it's sorry, guys. No, okay. yeah, it's going to be at least a couple of times per album, right? And she has about like eh. 20 albums or something. So I'm going to say more. <laughs> That's a great mathematical way to solve it. Eh? It's <laughs> my version of Taylor 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 So 40 times in this darn game, we'll see her. <laughs> I, I definitely think it's more than six, Brock. I, I would venture, especially if they do win. Um, because people are forgetting if Kansas City does pull it out, there's going to be at least you know, 11, 12, 13 times easily. And, and there's also some talk of maybe her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, might propose to her. I I, <laughs> I wouldn't be a fan of this if they won. I would, I would think, listen, the Super Bowl is the thing. You're kind of taken away from your team if you if you do this. But if he chooses to propose, whatever. But I just, uh, you know, I'm thinking, I, I let's would leave think that she would it. probably not want that. And he probably knows knows that that that's not where she would want that to happen maybe but yeah, you know sure. a pinnacle of his career really uh, all right let's get to some of the strangest bets that people have for the okay. super bowl it's something that they look forward to let's start with before the football game country music star reva mcintyre will be singing the national anthem the bet time is set for over or under 90.5 seconds. Do you think it's going to be over that or under that? Kelly, go first. I think she's going to stick to time. I think singing that is under 90, so the, I think under. Grant? I remember all the words for the national anthem in the U.S. Uh, I don't know. You usually do sort of a slow and dramatic uh, get those lyrics out a little more slowly. I'm going to go with more. Oh really? Yeah, okay. I, I would say that normal. I'm a I'm a country music fan. I would say that normally, uh, but Reba doesn't strike me as a person to be all theatrical. I think she's gonna stick to the time on on this okay. one. Uh, but we'll see because you do tend to see uh, national anthem players just kind of drag it out a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. A coin toss, and this is literally heads or tails. What do you think gonna be the coin toss? Heads or tails? Grant, start with you. Oh, heck, I'll say tails. Uh-huh. I think so, no. too, but... Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> but I often say that when I've been asked yeah. this one. I always say tails. It's literally a 50-50 chance, so <laughs> sure. people that bet on it... But I'm people like, will bet on what? it, you know, so yeah, crazy they, enough. They... All right, let's do this one. Uh, combined between both teams, will it be... Over or under 47 and a half points. Uh, Kelly, start with you on this one. I'm sorry, Brock. Give me that one again. What, what will it be? By the end of the game, will the score be total 47 and a half points over or under? Under. I'm going with under just because I trust Kelly McDonald's take on this more than I would trust anything that I come up with. So, <laughs> fair. Fair awesome. enough. Brock, to let's brock let's jump out of those because i know you got another announcement here you want to bring us up to speed on the olympic qualifications for the women's basketball program we'll switch topics here yes so the women are one and one they uh beat hungary uh yesterday and then they fell to spain 
today. Uh, this is a situation where had they won today against Spain, they would have automatically qualified for the Olympic Games because three of the top four teams in the pool that they are in would qualify for the Olympics. So they need to win against Japan, not only to move on to the uh, the the second round here, but they, they would need to do that for the Olympic uh, berth. I think they really missed an opportunity today to get it done. You kind of get into those mm-hmm. modes where it's like, now it's do or die against uh, against Japan, and those are very, very tough uh, games to handle. But the women have been to the Olympic Games uh, four years. This uh, this would be four years running if they were able to get there. So they've been there, done that. But, uh, yeah, we need to get behind the women uh, moving forward into this uh, weekend. But Sunday's game, even though it's a round robin, it's win uh, and you go to the Olympics and move on to the next round. Lose, you don't, and you don't move on to the next round either. So lots wow. of pressure coming coming I'll down say. the line for the women. Got to drag it out, man. That's too bad. Good luck on, uh, to the ladies. Good program, that's for sure, always has been. Brock, thanks a lot. Enjoy Super Bowl. Enjoy your cheese sticks and everything, and uh, certainly uh, have fun screaming loud. Thank you. Will do. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports update. He's here Fridays to begin our second hour right here on Kelly and Rumya. Coming up next on the Chatty Bookshelf today, Ryan Huey tells us about fantasy novels that have really taken off in the last four years. Who's reading them? Why are they reading these particular books? And why is it so popular? Up next, we'll get into that with Ryan. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Over on AMI-audio, folks, take some time this weekend. Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Excellent show. This week, emergency preparedness for people with uh, disabilities with Caitlin Lowe of Dalhousie University as they get into that conversation this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific over on AMI-audio. Also, the Pulse is available on YouTube and, of course, as a podcast. Kelly McDonald here with Grant Hardy. All right. On the chatty bookshelf, as we do at this time every Friday, we chat all things audiobooks with Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Huey. This is the chatty bookshelf where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ah, so true. I remember my just drawers and drawers full of tapes and braille books with audiobooks and now it literally just all fits in my pocket i dig that hey ryan happy friday and uh welcome to the program hello to you both how are you guys doing excellent doing, excellent doing good with, good with yeah, these friday thanks vibes. for having me back mm-hmm. interesting all that right. you brought up the uh cassettes and, C- and, and well you didn't bring up the cds but i remember traveling in toronto on the subway with a cd so i could read my uh, an audiobook and feeling so privileged and unfortunately i do remember the days traveling enough with a few cassettes i remember going to the gym and working out on the <laughs> treadmill and having to change cassettes while i was working out and and stopping putting my legs on either side flipping it over then putting it back on my belt but well <laughs> my track pants you know and having to keep pulling them up because the, the walkman would what? start pulling 
What's that? Oh, that that's so funny because so I shouldn't say this, but one of my prized possessions came into the Windsor CNIB office about a year ago, and I've been sitting on this for quite some time. And it is a cassette. However, it's read by a volunteer, and you can literally hear them light up a cigarette during the, oh. during the and you can you can oh. hear them cough and take a drink. And it's I don't want to get rid of it. I don't even know what book it is. I I, I just I don't even have a cassette oh. player. I'm just like it sits on my desk, and it's it's just a testament to how far we've come really yep. because it yeah. was like and that was that was allowed and it was like oh this is great i could only i can only imagine in the 80s and 90s yeah this, oh, is, this is what we have and this is hey great this is this is it but i just uh i, I can't well, believe you would laugh to how many cassettes right? a book would take right yeah, like I, you'd I, have I, these booklets you'd open and it'd be like 12 cassettes in there uh, i don't remember if they were i think they were generally an hour each because <laughs> the 90s would stretch and it would be ridiculous and and those were four tracks because we had the four track playing mm -hmm. machines back then and you'd fall asleep listening have to wake up and rewind to click let's see is that where i was no rewind click was that where i was and what a process and how time consuming Right, yeah. and then it's a, you'd have to figure out which one is which. You know, hey, is this is this cassette four of nineteen, and is this even yes. the right book? But oh, it's so funny <laughs> that you guys brought this up. I love, oh, I love man. it. The trip down memory lane. But you know, one of the big wow. trends that have kind of been uh, in in the audiobook and ebook world is something called fantasy frenzy. Have you guys heard of this before? I don't think no, so. Not I've heard me. of fantasy. No. My, so it's my, really my... interesting. No, go ahead. It's really interesting though, because what what is what is dubbed fantasy books now? There's one kind of we'll say subgenre that's taking over, and it's taking over in a big way. So it's been the top sort of selling or top downloaded genre of anywhere for the last four years and it's interesting it's a fantasy mixed in with a little romance. And what's interesting to me is that they've sort of, created this for young women aged 18 mm -hmm. to we'll say 35 is what the what the the stats were but i can tell you that i'm even buying these and i'm not in that category there's other males that have posted on their um in their goodreads hey this is a great book and they're 45 year old men so it's not just made for one and that's what i kind of love about this fantasy frenzy is that yeah it's kind of made for dare i say you know the young adult section and even a little bit more specific but we're coming through with even more and i i like hmm. it and it's it's been four years running strong could you imagine that four years ago that we're like okay maybe this is the this is a fad so to speak well, as we've talked about like audiobooks are for everybody and they've been sticking around but now we have this gauntlet will... of fantasy right it's funny because that was literally what I was thinking when you started to bring this in is it's four years. It's been four years since the world got a little bit scary and weird. I can kind of see people wanting something to just preserve some realness, you know, but at the same time kind of take people out of their world and into another mm. world. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I wonder, Ryan, because I'm a person who's never liked fantasy books, and I sometimes think I straddle, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Harry Potter, do they fall under the uh, Hunger yeah. Games, all these things that, you know, even down to the to the Witcher, right? I start saying, okay, well, hold on here, to kind of get a hold on 
witches, warlocks, and so on. Um, but we know they're not all about that. There's the crossover where you may have modern time stuff and have some um, witchcraft, and 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 it crosses over. But the one thing I've I've always thought is there does seem to be, as you see with police procedure books, now there's the the category where you have a lot of police officers that are female, told by their version. Um, younger, um, yeah, okay, but a lot more private detectives or lawyers that are that are following criminology. And I liken that to this, a category where you don't necessarily have to have protagonists that are female, but have a more of that kind of feel that would attract that audience. No, and I think you're right. And what I really like about this is, and I hate to say it, but I'm getting into the TikToks, I'm getting into the book talk and all these other things that are going on because you you can just see who is getting into these books and it's not the traditional, hey, this was made for one group, that's it, that's all we have and that's that's the way we have to have it and it's that's the proper way because it's so subjective, it's so this is what we want to like and this is what we don't this is not what you have to like there's no we it's everybody mm -hmm. it's all encompassing and i like that and there's been a little bit of a passing the torch because there's been some heavy hitters obviously there's always the the books that you know you you come to you come to love within the fantasy like you've talked about the harry potters the 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 big time books and all this stuff but i, I think that what what's really getting involved is you're getting more in pushed I don't want to say into the fantasy world, maybe out of it, because there's a mix. Like I said, you never you never had the the romance until you had the uh, the Twilight, right? And now it's all right. of a sudden. Yep. Now it's all yep. of a sudden that's built this this thing that's become so lovable and so great for everybody to kind of get involved. And it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you like or what you don't like, because when you go into it, you're gonna find something that you like. It's interesting. What are the... um, go ahead, Grant. Oh, yeah. You mentioned there were some uh, heavy hitters. What are some examples of heavy hitters? So this one's been the top for quite some time, but it's looking to pass, uh, pass the torch. A Court of Rose and Thorns by Sarah J. Moss and, and her Crescent City are looking to move over a little bit, but they've been the top for so, so long, for years and years and years. Now there's some new ones that are coming up. Emperin. Rebecca Jaro, Jaros is the new one, and this is interesting because they came out over a year ago, and it's got millions of downloads, whether it's ebooks or audiobooks. However, the third book in this, or sorry, the second book in this series came out just a month. Sorry, I was right the first time. It was the third book came out just a couple of weeks ago, and it's got over. 100 150,000 downloads so i'm assuming it's it's mostly audiobooks in this but it's also ebooks and it's just it's blossoming into something and that's that's two weeks and it's selling like that holy smokes like wow. yeah and, and, and right? first yeah. book still selling well because it's interesting exactly. when people start hearing something and i i always wonder about the mechanism put in place selling creating because if you know your series or books or whatever you want to call it maybe they're not even necessarily connected i don't i don't i can't speak to this particular one but that's the smart marketing isn't it if you know i've got the idea yep. we're going to make four books out of this and i'm going we're going to release them for you know a year apart and the buzz starts in the second year, maybe almost near the end of it, you're going to get a, a literally the frenzy is going to happen, isn't it? 
Well, my downfall is, you know what, I will find a book and I'll listen to it a week as it comes out. And it's like, I got to wait that whole year. It's like, oh, my God. And I think yes. it would die down. Oh, yeah. I think the want and the need would die down. But it just grows because they toss <laughs> out these teasers. They toss out this. Other authors are like, hey, have you done this? Have you read or listened to this? Yes, I have. Now, come on, give me the second book already. Yeah, and and because there's no willpower to wait and, and read a series no, together. Not. No way. And you'd think, and you'd think, and and you know what? All of it, you know, we have the attention span of what three minutes now. That's why. I, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, if you're watching TikTok, us. I would say a minute. <laughs> oh, even though Rum has corrected me, there are ten oh, minute man. videos now, so you got to be in between. Yeah, and then it videos on TikTok. I don't, I don't know. Can people handle that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Come on, if you're used to a minute, <laughs> uh, like that would be an eternity, <laughs> right? No, and and that's that's kind of what I I wonder because I'm re I'm reading a book right now and it's 15 hours and I've been just blowing through it and I I can't stop I really can't stop because it's about 15 hours or so and it's just I I, I do at least a couple hours each day. Um, uh, do you have books that you pick up? And I'm a little off topic. I don't want to railroad this, but uh, you can answer this as long or short as you want. Me. But Let's are there are there books that you have trouble? getting through whether it's four hours or 15 hours because i find if something doesn't hit the right rhythm for me and i, don't, I can't necessarily describe what oh is there enough killings is there enough action is it <laughs> written well enough is there enough cool care i can't tell you what it might be because i could never predict when it's going to happen um there are books and it could be narrator related could be just the subject do you have that struggle sometimes or for ryan Huey? Do you take that book and are able to read it generally with an average zealous, not necessarily like this 15-hour one? That's what I love about the audiobook world. It's not just one thing that you love or that you hate or that you hate yes. to love about a, a book or a series and that makes you... I could, on a whim, just go pick up something on Audible right now and probably love it, maybe even hate it a little bit but uh, you know what it's interesting because i love to hate those characters that you love in the book right you oh, i, God, I yes. find myself yeah. i find myself just looking at it i'm like oh i hate that guy so much in this book but i i'm, I'm talking about him and that's probably why i'm a new york yankees fan not to bring the sports talk back but it's like <laughs> i love the hate i love the hate of all these you know what I mean? And I, it's just that's what I find in my audiobook world, too. It's it's just you have all of these things kind of coming together and you have a, just a, a a big mixing bowl and it's everything is just going great and or going badly, but it makes it great. And that's kind of what so, I love about the audiobook world. Yeah, sometimes there's nothing better than reading a book with someone that you hate and they love so that you can love to hate on their favorite book you know you can kind of kick it out with them uh, i love being a part of book clubs and it's just like i know the bu the buttons to press it's like you know what okay you, you can and you, you, it doesn't take much <laughs> and you can just oh, yeah. push those buttons and and you see the love and the passion for something that i don't necessarily love but it comes out of a friend or a family member and they're like you shouldn't be reading that <laughs> and i'm like oh here we go you've you've done it i'm wrapped and it's you said four words to me uh, super, super quick. Less, less than a minute left. Uh, would you say you dig this this genre overall? I didn't think I did, but I think I do. 
<laughs> <laughs> and that's what I love because it's it, and it changes. You know what? Next month it might not be this, uh, and I can't say that because it's been four years strong. But for me personally, but I, I think guys, I just want to give a shout out to before because I know we got to go. But I have a special guest coming in, and I don't want to tease too much. But uh, he's got a great podcast. Go listen to the Uncharted podcast. Uh, you can find it. It's music murder. In the in, mayhem, murder in the music industry, and just listen to it because we got him coming by to next week to talk all about his podcast. Yeah, and all I won't right, spill man. because I had uh, a, a wonderful opportunity to listen to this gentleman uh, as a speaker at my last broadcast school uh, alumni uh, when we were celebrating that he, he was one of the guest speakers. So it'd be wonderful to have him next week on the show. Sounds like we've got a lot of reading and listening to do this weekend. Thanks for coming on, man. Guys, shout out 17 degrees in Windsor. Holy smoke. Oh, here, I've yes, been bragging about our 14. Get out of here. Yeah, get out of here. I don't want to hear that in BC with our like four degrees outside. Swing <laughs> <laughs> that gateway open, guys. All right, wow. guys. Ryan Huey joining us every Friday to talk all things audiobooks on the Chatty Bookshelf. When we return in two minutes, very much so. <laughs> we'll get you out into your weather, folks, whatever it may be, good or bad. We have a couple more segments to go. Up next, let's revisit and weigh in on uh, subjects, conversations from the past week. We call it Cut for Time. We'll get to it in about two minutes. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Remember to check out the podcast, subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Check out our program, maybe give us a rating and review. It's the Kelly and Rumya podcast, if you would. We're available on your favorite podcast platform. You can hear the show in segment form or listen to the complete podcast itself. We throw on an audio vanity card today provided to us by Rumya, who is uh, not with us today on the program, uh, but to hopefully return on, on Monday. She's a little under the weather. With me, Grant Hardy. He, of course, is in Vancouver. And we welcome in Beth Deer from Edmonton. We call this segment Cut for Time. And we've all selected something from the program from the past week that we kind of want to say a little more for. You know, there's times when we have conversations on the show and we know, looking at the clock, okay, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Uh, this is our opportunity to bring some of those things up as well as give you some ideas of things to check out via the podcast. On Tuesday's program, Rummy and I had a bit of a conversation about hair and skin care routines. Uh, here's a little snippet of that conversation we had just before we jumped into our veterinarian segment. When we were talking about skincare earlier in the day with each other, Kels, you mentioned coconut oil. Did you um, put coconut oil in your hair? Was that something that your yep. family did? Yeah? Yeah, my family did. We, we used the coconut oil and... Uh, you know, it, it was it was it was always nice because I'd go to the barber and it just seemed the thing to do. <laughs> but that's the guy that used the electric steel afro comb too oh, when I had yeah. an afro, right? And the first wait, time he wait, ever wait, used wait. it, wait, electric steel afro comb? <laughs> yeah, he'd plug it in to heat it up. I right? didn't know and there were afro combs that were electric. Okay, 
man, he scared me the first time. I didn't know, and he picked it up. I heard this click, and all of a sudden, there was heat on my forehead, hit my forehead, yeah. and I jumped because it was like he didn't say, oh, I'm going to you know, use this on you. He just forgot to tell me, oh the my. blind guy. Hey, here I come with this hot thing, then it's going to go right, and it went into my afro, ah! and, and the hair almost, it just stands Ooh. right up because yeah. it reacts yeah. to it just beautifully, right? Oh, after that, I loved it. So this is Black History Month. And as we had that conversation, a few things uh, dawned on me um, that took me back to uh, everything that happened post the death of George Floyd. So how do I connect the two? Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that he put the comb in his, hole, in his holder, the Afro comb, to heat it up. This gentleman was hired by my barber to be able to handle cutting black person hair in London, Ontario in the early 80s. Different environment than London has now. I was born and uh, raised till I was about six in Montreal. When we started having discussions when George was, was killed, one of the things we started to talk about is, is the situation for black Canadians. We were hearing and seeing a lot in the United States. So I really had to stop and think, because a couple of members of our team felt a little uncomfortable as white people, not sure about where they stood, what they should know, feel, or viewpoints. You know, obviously, the viewpoints of human beings and being good to each other, that's a no-brainer for all of us. We know that kind of thing. But I know for myself, I've always struggled, especially when I've been around and working in Toronto, uh, other black people who come from maybe the islands, uh, Jamaica, wherever it might be, and their heritage. For me, being fifth or so generation Canadian, it always left me saying, no, I'm, I'm Canadian. Oh, yeah, but you're black. I'm Canadian, first and foremost. In recent years, I've had opportunities to speak on panels during uh, Black History Month. I think this is wonderful. It's been an opportunity for me to listen and learn, to hear. I mean, I've known stuff, especially being in London, Ontario, where the end of the Underground Railway uh, was here. Um, and so many people have started. I've been to North Buxton and been part of celebrations there outside of Chatham and, you know, in the black community when I was a child. But again, not knowing a lot. My parents tried to teach me what they could. But again, they were kind of facing the same thing. My mom from Nova Scotia, my dad originally from Ottawa. So for us to feel what maybe somebody down in the United States is feeling, somebody coming in to live in Toronto or Montreal from Haiti, we, we weren't quite there with some of that stuff, as people have been here, not as, as immigrants. So I find sometimes when we get into these conversations, I talk coconut oil, I talk about that, um, of my experience as a person, as a, as a black person. Of course, originally I'd start thinking, do I have anything to say? And I think it was very helpful. I was in a play, uh, and we were the play subject matter was about the life of black porters on the trains here in Canada. And it was an eye-opener. Um, it allowed me to feel part of a community that I certainly didn't know as much as I did the blind community and start feeling that need to learn as much as we talk about in Canada, learning about the, the, so many different things, whether it's the Jewish community, Indigenous communities. I had to myself say and admit what I may or may not know, but also still embrace who I am and not feel a guilt for not, uh, not really knowing a heck of a lot, Grant. Yeah, I mean, you covered a, a lot of ground there, and I think you're absolutely correct what you were saying 
you know, for other members of the team, I don't think when we talk about viewpoints, I certainly would hope that nobody, you know, sort of has the viewpoint that pointless, horrifying violence like what happened in 2020 is in any way mm-hmm. acceptable or can be don't con- condoned but yeah i mean definitely i think challenging my own perceptions of sort of like when is it appropriate to speak up and voice my views versus you know just listening to what people who are maybe more marginalized than than i am are are, are saying and also just to reflect, I guess, on a little more of our history and culture that, you know, when when I grew up, I grew up, grew up in a climate where it was believed that Canadians were, you know, very polite and welcoming, you know, multicultural, right? That's always what people have said about our, our, our country, uh, you know, this and that. And of course absolutely like to think that individuals are but i think definitely you can't be complacent and assume that canadians aren't racist we know that we have our own horrible history of violence and oppression against uh, marginalized people as as someone put it on a, a forum that i was on once is a good quote is something like uh you know typical they were saying this in response to someone you know typical canadian racism polite and with a smile but still still racist i know it sounds terrible but i i think just entering into a new climate where there's awareness that's number one number two violence cannot exist or cannot be tolerated and yeah just listening to these voices who keep trying to tell us things beth yeah i think you uh actually summed it up there grant when you said like still racy racism even though it does come like with politeness and a smile um i was actually really fortunate growing up to have one teacher who always his name was mr gopala and he was amazing and he uh, he always made a very big point of teaching us about and telling us stories about his childhood growing up in england as a black man and some of the stuff that he would tell us was you know <laughs> heartbreaking at times but I and like he was trying so hard to educate us and the stuff he taught me it really really sticks sticks with me Kelly did you have anyone like big in your life like that that um, showed you the ropes if you will like I, I would get in, no get not in the inside? black community I, I mean I mean I met some teenagers that gave me some of their inside I, I you know we had family friends I think really just my parents, but the, the, mm-hmm. the lessons I learned of black at that time were as a black Canadian. And I think I had to get to where I accepted that, hey, that's okay, that's my heritage. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, Beth, go ahead. Okay, so sticking with Tuesday, wow, this week has gone insanely fast. Um, Francis Wong joined us to talk about the difference between CT scans and MRIs. In this clip, she explains the difference between the two and how they work. 
Yes, so let's start with CT scans or CAT scans. CT stands for computed tomography and CAT scan, scan stands for computerized axial tomography. So they're similar to an x-ray, but go further than that by combining x-rays with computer technology. So we're able to get detailed images of the inside of the body, including bones, muscles, fat, organs, and blood vessels. CT scans can also be done in preparation for surgeries, and sometimes they may use contrast dyes so that it's easier to locate abnormalities. Now, this segment just resonated with me just because recently I had an, a visit to the emergency room, and I was actually really impressed at, one, how thorough they were, and two, excuse me, how quickly I was able to get a CT scan. Um, and it made me chuckle in the segment just because you guys started talking about the fact that, you know, people fall asleep in these machines. Now I went to the emergency room at like half nine, 10 o'clock at night. I didn't get into a bed until I think half four, five o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, I was awake pretty much all day until I had this CT scan because they were running tests and doing this, that, and the other. And, uh, the only sleep I had that day was in that machine. <laughs> Have either of wow. you had experience with CT scans or MRIs? Oh, boy, yeah. I was saying in the segment that I did one once with the university. They were doing a study, and I think right. they were looking for blind people. So I, I went in the MRI machine. The CT uh, scan I had when I went into the hospital complaining of dizziness. Uh, I went in by ambulance, and they sent me home saying inner ear th situation. This is uh, 2019. I went back the next day with a headache. Then they ran me through the CT uh, scan to check, and I'd had a stroke. Um, I was very lucky. Um, they pointed out to me the reason they didn't catch it at first was I showed no signs of having a stroke. Um, I felt, gee, wow. when I was in the machine, that one, the, the, C, the scan was a nice machine to be in. The MRI, mm -hmm. you know, again, the second time I went in one shortly after, um, I felt more claustrophobic. And, you know, of course, as a, as a big guy, I, I probably feel that. The first time when I went for the university study, absolutely no problem. Grant? I'm, I'm just always amazed. This makes me think of, you know, when you go into a lab for, let's say, a sleep test, and they're like, we're going to hook you up to all kinds of these weird wires and motors <laughs> and whatever, and we're going to do a test that, like, could potentially influence the rest of your life because we're going to make a determination and order a bunch of stuff all right, let's turn the machine on, you know, and then it's like, okay, sweet dreams. And I always wonder, like, how do people, like, fall asleep if they're experiencing that? But <laughs> Beth, Beth, as you said, it's, I don't know, it's got to be that human spirit or maybe it's just a matter of being <laughs> so tired. I think it was just exhaustion that day, yeah, but man, exhaustion. Was like, that was a great nap. <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna call it the human spirit. I, I I'm gonna give that to you. I think I think you have to give yourself more credit than exhaustion. But may I guess maybe that's part of it too. You're just so tired that uh, you can ignore the the whirring and humming, etc. Ah, good times. Uh, moving on to Thursday's show, Fern Lalam spoke to us. That's yesterday, of course, about uh, attachment theory. Here she is explaining one of the four types. 
Well, secure attachment is the one that I'm always fascinated by because I'm not sure. This is why I kind of preface this with this is just a theory, because is anyone really completely secure? And the answer, I, you know, because I checked all of this, I did a bit of my research. The answer is no, nobody is completely secure in all situations at all times. Uh-huh. Nobody is perfect, right? We're all just human. But if you are predominantly secure, you have a, a more secure attachment style than any of the others, it just means you're able to regulate your own emotions a bit better you're able to have you know not necessarily not fights in relationships but when fights and stress come up you're you're able to handle it better you know so you you're able to kind of go oh okay i'm going to stay calm i'm going to take a step back and i'm going to sort of think about how we can handle this and communicate in a healthy way Mm-hmm. And as Fern said, these are only ever theories, so it's not about adding additional stigma. It's just about helping people kind of sort out their their own thoughts. I think this theory, along with something else that she alluded to about conflict, is so interesting. And we've we've done training seminars at this company. I'm sure Kelly, you remember about like where you sit on the conflict scale, etc. I sit incredibly low. I hate conflict and avoid it with a passion, which I've always thought yeah. is. Uh, ter- terrific until you learn that like oops oh nothing really ever gets done though because any fight that comes up you know whatever and i'm just like oh crap you know what let's just let's just move on do something else but sometimes that ability to be secure enough to like bring up stuff that's going on really kind of hash it out between the two of you but do it in a really respectful way can be incredibly uh cool does anyone want to comment on that uh uh beth you want to comment on that yeah sure i mean really depends for me personally when it comes to conflict it depends what the situation is i'll be honest it depends on how much i actually care about it (laughs) um my dad always kind of taught me like be careful like what hill you want to die on so if if i'm passionate about something i i wouldn't say i love conflict but there's a little part of me that does enjoy a good back and forth um but yeah what about you kelly i feel like you'd be someone that's really good with confrontation but actually like (laughs) still being able to like be nice that's where i struggle I, I think I, I've been able to be nice. I've been able to definitely speak straight out and from where I come from without fear of retribution, of, you know, saying the wrong thing. I think I've, I've gotten elegant enough with that. But I think, Beth, like yourself, it's, do I really want to be bothered? I think as I've gotten mm-hmm. older, unfortunately, that times I feel like I just, yeah, let it go. And there's things I've had to learn about, yeah, let that go, pick the next battle. Guys, thank you very much. Appreciate both of you doing Cut for Time, Beth. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. We do Cut for Time on Fridays to wrap up our program. This edition give you some ideas of things to go check out via the podcast. When we return, we'll take a look at what's coming up um, over AMI TV and audio on the weekend. Interesting story on chocolate. Got to send you out with a sweet tooth for sure. Uh, over the weekend, we'll talk about some of the interesting facts about it after this on Cut for Time. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Mm. 
Grant and I will tell you a little bit about what's coming up on our show too. When are we next on? Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You can first get a listen to us wherever you're checking us out around the world. We appreciate you being with us via TuneIn Radio, maybe our OO Tunes or your smart speaker. Uh, I want you to tap into your wild side on Saturdays, okay, folks? This is with Lawrence Gunther on AMI-audio. Join Lawrence, North America's only blind conservationist, outdoor writer, podcaster, blogger, filmmaker, and TV personality. As he discusses outdoor news, environmental issues, reviews about outdoor tech, and tips on exploring the world with a guide dog. Listen to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, Saturdays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And you can take a trip across Canada without ever leaving your home. Tune into Postcards from Sundays on AMI-TV from Red Sand to Farmland and Seaside Towns. Join host Alex Smythe as he dives into the heart of Prince Edward Island, Canada's smallest province. That's Postcards from PEI, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. Some really cool stuff on those, folks. Now, our closing moment for today, you can look this up, 17 Crazy Facts About the History of Chocolate. I am not going to read all 17. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to probably get through what I have. Here's some of them, however. The first instances of chocolate being consumed go back as 4,000 years. Chocolate was drunk as a frothy brew, folks. No recipe for uh, the recipes that were used, but it is assumed it was alcoholic. Milk chocolate originates in Jamaica, according to prominent historian James Delburco. Jamaicans had been brewing chocolate in this fashion for since about 1494. It takes 400 cocoa beans to produce one pound of chocolate. The first chocolate bar was made in 18. 18- 47. J.S. Fry and Sons uh, were the first company to make it into a solid instead of a, a drinkable treat. A Real River of Chocolate Grant. This one you'll remember. This is uh, the 1971 movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. And that river of chocolate was that was featured was actually made from real chocolate with cream and water added. Uh, but of course, after a few days, it started to smell and wouldn't have passed health and, uh, you know, had the health board if <laughs> judged by today's standards. <laughs> In 1930, American chef Ruth Wakefield uh, created the chocolate chip cookie by Chance Grant. And you know what she did with it? She sold that recipe to Nestle in return for a lifetime supply of chocolate. In the United Kingdom alone, 80 million Easter eggs are sold every Easter. In the United States, 60 million Easter's are, Easter bunnies are sold at Easter, while another 30 are sold in the rest of the world. Several big chocolate companies have been accused of, uh, accused of having enslaved child labor. As a result, many smaller companies have arisen and been an alternative for the consumer. Their products may be a tiny bit more expensive, but they don't leave the wrong kind of bitter taste in your mouth. Okay, Switzerland, wow. of course, the biggest consumer of chocolate. Uh, they usually have 22 pounds of chocolate a year. Americans really have uh, 10.5 pounds per person. Folks, coming up on our show on uh, Monday, uh, we've got, uh, of course, how do you enable accessibility uh, Google's uh, Google products? Michael Babcock has that for us. Ever wondered about how our 
donkey friends fair in the Canadian climate? There is a free upcoming webinar that answers this question. Community reporter Annette Dennis tells us all about it. <laughs> enjoy your weekend, Grant. Thanks for being with us. You, thank you for being with us, folks. Enjoy. Get out of here now, will ya? Hosts Kelly McDonald and Ramia Abedin. Reporter Grant Hardy. Senior show producer Jeff Ryman. Visual producer Megan McGrath. Producer Marianne Dion Jones. Graphics Andrew Antonello. Production assistant Kingsley Juco. Control room operators Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director Irene Solomon. Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen. Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV Production, Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. The other day, to my misfortune, my dad brought in from the depths of our garage an old tape recorder. And in that tape recorder is one last smidge of memory from my childhood that I had no idea existed still because we tossed out every last cassette tape that we located and found and dug out but this tape recorder god knows where it was i had this one last piece of tape and my mother absolutely loved what was on it i had created invented if you will a speech in tamil and i had recorded it and it was hysterical absolutely loved it uh, listening back to it but my goodness i cannot imagine what would have happened if we had more tape thank goodness we got rid of the rest hi i'm red sale inviting you to download the latest episode of my life in books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives their work and three books that have resonated with them That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.